Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, it is really a pleasure to have you with us. As always, we, we, we love having you folks here on the program, um, listening to and or watching, because not only are we uh, podcasting, but we're also videocasting. We have a podcast, a videocast, a broadcast, and we'll tell you all about that as we as we continue here on uh, Tell Me Your Story. New paradigms for a new world where we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We're looking for those new ways of living. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Look around you. The old ways don't work, okay? We have to find another way, other ways, I should say, uh, to uh, to do the things that we want to do. And I will say that this isn't necessarily a new way, but it is a way that we have been talking about. And we're going to talk about this with our very special guest, and her name is Florence Ann Romano, and uh, she is with us to talk about the work that she is doing through a book that uh, is quite, I think it's important for everyone to uh, maybe get a copy of this book, I do believe. Build Your Village. It is a guide to finding joy and a community in every stage of life. And uh, uh, Florence Ann, thank you so much for joining us here on the program. Thank you for having me, Richard. It's wonderful to be with you. I uh, <clears throat> One of the things that, that of course, uh, as, as you sort of state on your, on your website, um, uh, we heard this. And I guess it was credited to uh, Hillary Clinton uh, that it takes a village. Right. And one of the things that I found so disconcerting, this was several years ago, I was watching a news story. Uh, it was taking place, of all places, in Texas, uh, small businesses. And the small business owners, they were all going off on how I did this and I, 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 I. And I'm going, you're all liars. I cannot believe that you people would say that you did this. Right. You didn't do whatever it is that you think you did. Right. It is collective. If it weren't for the vendors you deal with, and if especially if it weren't for the customers who came in to buy your product or service, you'd have nothing. Right. Um, I am here talking with you today because of, I, this is an estimate on my part, because of thousands of people. Uh, I didn't get here on my own. Now, I'm good at what I do because I learned. I've got a lot of skills. I've got a toolbox that's pretty darn full, as each <laughs> one of us probably does. But I didn't get here on my own. Uh, and it it, it is, it is a, it's sort of become cliche, it takes a village. But right. it's it's actually a truism. How did you... How did you tap into that phrase uh, to come to the place where you are today? Because it's just, to me, it's, uh, we are all connected and we all are supported by and support one another. And it's like when we go into that victimhood phase, which we did about five or six years ago, right. I just thought, what are we, we're going backwards. Talk to us, <laughs> if you will, about that. I agree with you that anyone saying it's me, 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 or I, 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 that doesn't work because we all know the truth there. It always, it, there are always people behind you. At least there should be. So for me, that proverb, yes, it is attached to Hillary Clinton, but so many people have used that proverb before. Um, but uh, build your village. Really, I wanted to hone in on the idea that it wasn't just a proverb that should relate to raising children. What about the people that do not have kids? Don't they deserve people too? Don't they deserve to find their community? And so COVID hit and I started looking at the landscape of our lives on a global level and realized on a global level, we all knew what it felt like to lose our support systems. Mm. And that was a really powerful moment for us to experience together. And then, you know, we started to get back to some normalcy and it was time to reconnect with people. And all of a sudden people were like, you know what? I don't think I really know 
how to reconnect with people. And not only do I not know how, I kind of don't want to. <laughs> you kind of got used mm. to that little cocoon, your yoga pants and your Netflix. And it wasn't <laughs> as interesting to go out there and have real human connection. So I wrote a book that was supposed to, again, get rid of this idea that it's just this proverb just applies to parents and then also establish six different villagers that you identify with because i hate books that okay do this do that it all seems very difficult and you're like i'm not going to do any of that that's way too much i want to write a book that's going to do something that is there to be an anchor for you as your life changes whether you're 15 or 80 years old that you can come back to this place and it can help you figure out how to make those connections. So my six villagers in the book are six people that you identify with. You think, okay, who am I of these six? And who do I need of these six in my village? So who am I to other people? And who am I and who do I need in mine? Mm -hmm. And that really, I felt, was a very tangible way for people to start to think about how they create connections and relationships in their life. Hmm. Well, you have been involved for a long time, especially with uh, children as a, a nanny, I guess, here for 15 years. Yeah. Uh, by the way, that used to be the longest uh, stint at any job I had. Now it's uh, uh, fast approaching 17 years. So. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But that, I don't have something to say, though, because people I think the statistic now is people, at least the millennial generation changes yeah. jobs within their lifetime, like 25 times or something like that. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I did have one year, uh, this being sidebar here, I did have one year <clears throat> in 2000 where I was laid off from four jobs in one year. And the first two times I was laid off, I applied for unemployment. The second two, I said, I found a job in two weeks. I got no unemployment, but I, I it's like, so what's the point? The third job, found the fourth job, fourth job, uh, I was able to hang on. But uh yeah, it's it's very interesting. And my, for example, and my father too. He also was uh, one of those who worked for years at one specific company uh, mm -hmm. until they decided to close the plant and move it to Utah. And he said, "No, nah, I'm not going to move the family to Utah." So you know, uh, that changed his uh, uh, his direction and so forth, and um, very successfully so, in my opinion, because I'm still here. We didn't starve to death. <laughs> we did all those good things. Um, when we are talking about um, a village and we are talking about uh, working towards a more cohesive, interdependent society. Right. And right now, that seems to be on the brink of destruction, in a matter of speaking, because there are a lot of people who they're they're somehow they may they stay in the victim mode. Whenever they talk about whatever it is, it's so and so's fault. It's this group's fault. It's this party party's fault. Um, it's one individual's fault, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and as I'm watching, uh, hearing these phrases uh, um, over the you know early on in the in the uh, uh, 2016 campaign, uh, I'm sitting here going, wh 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 "Where have you been living?" They, whoever they are, did not do this, whatever it is you think they did, to us. We did this to us, okay? So when it comes to, uh, uh, for example, raising a child, it takes a village. It takes a village, village to make things bad mm -hmm. or worse, mm -hmm. as well as make things better, right? Again, it's it's a collective. No yeah. matter what you're going through in life, generally it's never it's never one person's fault. It's never just one reason why. It's never just one, you know, uh one thing that fits into a box. At least that's what I found in my life. When things mm -hmm. when there's an issue, generally there's a lot of subtext to the text. And so I agree with you. It it's to say that, you know someone did something to get us here. No, generally speaking, this is something that was formulated by a collective. Yeah. You are quoted as saying life is all about being positive. 
pushing boundaries, opening your heart and letting letting in the love and that uh, you truly believe that parents will experience beautiful breakthroughs in their homes if they simply ask for help. And uh, of course, um, it's interesting because uh, I had an opportunity just recently to spend some time with my family um, and my mother when we were uh, when we were celebrating my father's life at his memorial. And my dad used to say to me when he was alive, um, uh, your, your mother did did the raising. You know, I really didn't have that. I didn't I didn't do that much to, to, to send so forth. And yet at the memorial, as my elder sister and my younger brother and two younger sisters, uh, my my niece and grandniece went up there to speak. Uh, the. I think that the phrase that spoke to me that I used in my remarks was I wouldn't be the person I'm a, that I am if it weren't for you, dad. Do you find that there are those who, and again, we're we're still talking about this aspect of the village, mm-hmm. who they don't feel like they are ha- that, that they're making a difference in the lives of in their own lives, let alone in the lives of other people, because maybe they're not living their life's purpose, they're not following a path that 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 makes them happy, which we'll get into. Um, is, do you think that there that's maybe part of the disconnect? It's interesting when people don't see their worth. And I think that's what we're really talking about here is, is how you value yourself. And one of my favorite quotes that I live by, my life philosophy is Maya Angelou. People will forget what you said. People forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And I, I think your dad, and I'm so sorry about his passing, by the way, I, I think your dad probably looked at the hard work that your mom did and thought, you know what, those are her strengths. She's playing to her strengths. And I don't think that I'm able to do that the same way she is, as beautifully as she does, or, you know, as effort, effortlessly as it looks, perhaps. And I think that's a big part of that that self-exploration that we have to do. And something that I actually put emphasis on in the book is as you develop, you know, who you are in your life and you figure out, you know, who are these six care, these six villagers? How do I fit into them? You know, how do my friends and family, how do I define them based on these people? I think that's where you start to figure out, you know what, these are the things I'm good at. This is how I can show up for people. This is how I can make a difference. We all don't have the same skill set. And I think your dad probably didn't feel like his skill set was was raising children. But what he didn't know is that what he was doing in the background or the forefront or whatever you and your siblings were observing, that was molding you. That was something that was influencing you. And he probably had no idea. And there are so many moments, I think, in our lives where people will say, you know what, you said this, you did this, and it made a difference to me. And you're probably like, I don't even remember saying that. You know, I I don't even remember those words coming out of my mouth, but that made a difference to you. You remember that? Mm. So we don't know the mark that we leave on people. Um, But I think that in order for us to really be a part of this community and to and to show up and take care of other people and to live a life in service of others in whatever form that is for you, you have to figure out who you are and how you can use what comes naturally to you to support other people. And I can honestly say that um, I have had an influence on uh, both my guests, the listeners, the people I've worked with, just as they have had an influence on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, and, and again, this is this is all my perspective. And unfortunately, I was not able to um, uh, you know, share, give that information or, or impart that to my father to where he would believe it. I shared these thoughts, but whether he believed it or not was a whole nother thing. Right. And, and that, um, you know, we are a collective of all of those interactions at all of those levels. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say that my father who never liked it when I called him a wise man, 
<laughs> uh, I had to, I had to skip the phrase wise guy because it it there's the wrong connotation there. But, <laughs> That's like a Goodfellas movie. Exactly, you know, exactly, right? exactly a wise but, guy. Uh, he I, he said some things that I have had have I've I've lived by. Uh, one of them was eat, drink, and be merry in moderation because nobody gets out of this world alive. That was one. Huh. Of them. All right, which is true. It's absolutely true. That. Yeah, right. you know, and then he also told me, find a job you love doing because you're going to be doing it for a long time. And I don't know if it was Lucky Stars or Four Leaf Clover or what it was, but I've been doing this for I, I like to say since I was 12, because my very first interview was at 12 years old with a personality, radio and TV personality, when I was doing that proverbial what I'm going to be when I grow up in eighth grade report. Right. Right. Um, oh, I remember those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, and then, of course, uh, I was fortunate uh, through my uh, guidance counselor at junior college to find out about my first radio job, you know. And uh, of course, before, you know, my real first job was uh, being a paper boy. Loved it because I got to meet all kinds of people. They had an influence on me. Uh, some of them uh, were better influencers than, than others, but <laughs> nonetheless, it was it was a great experience, and I would I wouldn't trade anything for it. We're talking here today with Florence Ann Romano, and we are talking about her latest work, and we're going to talk more about that in reference to the book "Build Your Village." Everyone has heard the phrase, as we mentioned at the front end of the program, that it takes a village. But how exactly do we find our village? Who is in it and what does it look like? And rethinking the relationships in your life, you may realize that even if you have a calendar filled with social plans, you still might not have your village. We'll define that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we're talking with Florence and uh, Florence and Romano, and uh, I, uh, first of all, really do appreciate your uh, joining my village today. It's nice to have you here with the rest of the folks who are listening and or watching. Uh, you can listen uh, to this program, folks, 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. on Sundays, Mondays at 1 a.m. and Wednesdays at 9 a.m., where we stream live at richarddugan.com. And then, of course, we distribute these via podcasts. On SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations on the internet. And we're also on YouTube where you can watch these interviews. Hope you'll subscribe and also uh, click the notification so that when I do upload a new interview, uh, you will be able to listen to that new conversation and glean some new information. I want to ask you about this aspect of the village. Now, I, I would probably, because uh, I've been used to using the term community. Yeah. Same thing. It's exactly the same. Okay. Absolutely. What, because uh, I know you had to do a little bit of research sure. to define uh, not only what uh, village means, the definition, right. but also maybe going back through history and finding out, especially with this country, how we have lost that village mentality right. and how do we get it back? Well, we're in a friendship recession right now. There's so many articles being written about that. And everyone's like, I don't know why, why, why have our friendships receded? And I'm like, it's very simple. Uh, you know, we had COVID and after COVID happened, no one felt like putting in the effort again to having relationships, to, to making sure that your friendships were solid, reaching back out to people. And there's also this loneliness epidemic that's happened here in our country. And this is very easy to see because we've seen how much those mental health and those well-being stats have changed since COVID too. And all of this is related. We are, as human beings, we are social creatures. Mm -hmm. We are meant for this type of, of connection. However, because of what we've gone through in the last few years, it's made it much more difficult to reconnect and to have the motivation to do so. 
So if you go a little bit deeper with it though, I would, I would charge people to also take a temperature check of the health of their community. And sometimes relationships serve their purpose for an, you know, a certain amount of time and then that's it. And I think also a reason why we're in a friendship recession and why this loneliness epidemic is happening is yes, maybe we're missing people from the village, but also maybe people are sitting in the wrong seats in the village. And also maybe we need to fire some people from the village. I'm going to say that very bluntly. There are some relationships that may no, long, may no longer be serving you. And that's why you are feeling a certain way when you wake up in the morning, maybe a little lonely, maybe a little depleted. And you may have a ton of people around you. Like you just mentioned that I always talk about this, you know, enormous social calendar you may have, but you're very lonely mm -hmm. because you don't have the quality people around you either. It's yeah. not a numbers game. It's, it's really about the quality of the people that you're picking. They have said, it said it's been written that we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. And I, I actually do believe that is probably true just based on how I look at my life and I look at other people's lives. I'm like, yeah, you know what? That actually makes sense. I could see that in action, but taking a, a temperature check of what's actually going on in your community and who you have relationships with, that is vital in order to do this work too. Mm. You know, it's interesting because I hear what you're saying. And yet at the same time, uh, I'm sitting here thinking, well, I, I get your point. I understand what you're saying, but I haven't really experienced that. And here's okay. the reason why I say that, because I'm one of the few whose life schedule really didn't change. I mean, I went to work. I've been going to work every day for the last three years. Right. Um, but my workspace is, you know, I, I usually work solo, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, we don't have dozens. You're not interacting. Of exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's been an, an advantage. And of course, we moved a lot of our programming to Zoom, like what yeah. we're doing here. Right. And uh, so, so uh, I was still keeping in contact with people, not just via text or email, but on the phone sure. uh, and that kind of thing and trying to maintain those relationships. And of course, doing these interviews and having a lot of fun with that. But I certainly see your point in terms of uh, this, this separation. What are some of the techniques that and I know you, <laughs> you sort of abhor the whole step one, step two, step three kind of thing, but how do we reestablish or establish new friendships, uh, get getting over that, uh, that element of, I just don't have the energy to do it. I really, I just don't want to do it. And, and then there are those, for example, uh, I just use this as case in point, my brother, younger brother. Uh, he's already retired. I'm 62, almost 63, and he is already retired. <laughs> but then again, this is my choice. I, I have no plans on retiring. Um, he and I had a conversation. I found out he is on the opposite end of, for example, the political spectrum. Okay. But it doesn't change the fact that he's still my brother. Right. And that when we had this conversation, I made the commitment internally, I am not going to let this conversation degrade to where we have some kind of rift. He can have his perspective. I can have mine. Neither of us is wrong, just different. And um, so when I went back for my father's memorial, um, there was there was no problem, none whatsoever, you know? Uh, and, and it was like we found, well, we had common ground, and that was remembering our father and how he influenced our lives. Right. Do you, do you find that a lot of people on different ends of a spectrum, not just the political spectrum, because there are lots of them, um, they find it hard to, to, to actually acknowledge that they and somebody else on the other end of the spectrum have common ground or they don't want to acknowledge. They don't want to see that, oh, we're more the same than we are different. 
it's funny you bring this up because I just had this conversation with my mom last night and I was saying that I do feel a lot of what's contributed to this friendship recession is going back and looking at COVID and how politically charged it was during that time. I mean, just talking about the vaccine alone, I mean, that could have destroyed a relationship mm -hmm. and, and it did. It did, Richard. It destroyed a lot of relationships did, yes. with COVID. Because, you know, all of a sudden it became political. And I had so many friends telling me that they had falling outs with friends that they had been friends that for decade, for like a decade, even mm -hmm. longer. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden they weren't friends anymore because it was that divided. And it got me thinking, so why are we friends with people? Is it just that we're friends with people who have similar values to us or have our exact values? Can we not be friends with people that think differently than we do? Is that, like you said, any common ground there? What My aunt and uncle have been married for over 40 years, have the most beautiful marriage. It's like marriage goals for sure. Mm -hmm. One day I would like to have a marriage like theirs. My aunt is one side and my uncle is the other politically. And they have the most beautiful relationship. And I always said, how do you do that? Being so politically, you know, divided. And they go, well, we just don't talk about it ever. Yeah. And so I started laughing and I said, well, I guess that's the key. But why can they make a marriage work, a beautiful, healthy, you know, very inspirational marriage work, that relationship work. And we cannot find a way to have friends that think differently than we do. Yeah. I, and, and so I, I hear what you're saying. I, I do think that we are more divided than we've ever been. And we do not know how to agree to disagree anymore. We do not know how to communicate, to understand, or to listen. We're always communicating to respond uh, we live in a very different world today than we did where there is a level of respect and kindness that we just do not lead with anymore. Mm. We're talking with Florence and Romano. We're talking about build your village and we're talking about it, believe it or not, right here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, along with Florence and Romano. And uh, we're talking about the village. That's right. Uh, and it's a big one. Uh, what is interesting is uh, uh, how um, I, um, my family lived next door to um, a very large family. They had nine kids. My parents, they had six. Uh, was not a competition, but it, <laughs> but it certainly was. It certainly was uh, sort of ingrained in their religious beliefs. My parents wanted a large family. That's what they planned on from day one. I, I, I actually interviewed them on this program back in 2015. And it was one of the things that they shared was that this was not an accident. We This is what we wanted. Right. The neighbors next door, uh, I probably the same thing, but you know, maybe for more uh, religious reasons. And I say that because... Uh, my family, we were born and raised Catholic. My dad was actually Protestant and converted to Catholicism when he married my mother. The neighbors were Mormons. Oh, okay? wow. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they have the same be fruitful and multiply. And boy, did they. <laughs> well, we played together. We ran around the neighborhoods. We did all kinds of stuff together. It was it was wonderful, right? Right. And of course, as we got older, you know, we all moved on and so forth. Well, I managed to get in touch with several years ago, one of the brothers, a second oldest brother, and we would communicate via text, not on Facebook or any of the social medias. It was, we just texted. It was kind of cool. And of course, when my father passed, uh, I invited him to the service and he said, well, I don't know if I can make it or not. Well, we'll, we'll see. Well, he showed up. Oh, wow. And I was I, I mean, I was in tears that he and I hugged him like you wouldn't believe. I was just it was great to yeah. see him. But what I found so. And again, I'm not I'm not I'm not sitting here bashing my brother, but my brother in the conversation that we had around lunch uh, after the memorial service on Saturday before my uh, plane left. I uh, says, uh, uh, well, I I. I I'm not going to start up a, a French a relationship with someone I haven't seen for 45 years. Yeah. And I'm going, what do you mean start up? It's a continuation. You just, I'm not saying you're going to pick up right where you left off. 
Right. Yeah, right. I didn't say any of these things. I just let him verbalize his perspective. Sure. And it's it's just amazing to me. It's like we come from the same parents. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I say that often to myself too. Sometimes when I'm talking to my yeah. sisters, you know. Yeah. But again, I I I love my brother. Uh, I wish him all the best. I am proud of him, like you would not believe. He worked for sure. Disney for I don't know how many decades. Wow. Uh, he took my parents to China. Wow. They got to walk on the Great Wall. Wow. Uh, he was he's been really good to them. He's actually um, uh, he's staying with my my mom uh, for a, a couple of weeks before he flies back to L.A. But mm. um, I mean, he's definitely there for our rather large community of yeah. children, grandchildren and great grandchildren. Um, when you start talking with people and, and I'm just curious if you do. Uh, uh, counseling or or therapeutic uh, sessions with people in regards to uh, trying to work through some of these issues. Do you deal pe with people one-on-one -on -one or as couples or things like this? Is that one of your uh, areas? I do. I do. And I, I'd say my, my training, and it probably started when I was a nanny and working with different families. And sometimes you feel like a referee when you're, when you're working with different families in that way, because there's so many dynamics. And yeah. you walk a delicate line there too, as a caretaker, because you're not the parent, you know, you, you want the best for the whole family. And sometimes you see things the parents don't, and you have to report back to them about, you know, their children in a way where you're not going to offend them or attack them um, uh, or accuse them of anything. You know, you want to make sure that you're solving the problem, that there is a resolution to it and it's done in a in a constructive way. Mm. Um, but what you're saying about relationships and the continuum of that, I want to touch on that for a second, because some of the most important relationships in my life, um, I never see that person in person or even talk to them on a very frequent basis. But when I do, they they understand me, they see me, they're there. It's like no time had passed. And to use a very recent example, I just had lunch with a few girlfriends of mine. We all met when we were four years old and I've stayed friends with a bunch of these girls, but one of which we had not seen in probably 10, 15 years. And we were all sitting there at lunch. We were so happy to be together. And it was like no time had passed at all, but this was the more important point. You can't hide anything from those people that have known you for that long in your life. I was kind of revealing a relationship that had ended in, in the fall, and I was speaking very generally about it in kind of a perky way. And the one girlfriend who hadn't seen me in so, so long said to me, you're not telling the truth. And I looked at her and I just laughed because I was like, you know what? You can't hide from those mirrors sometimes in your life. And, mm. you know, your friend that you have that you grew up with, maybe so much time has passed since you'd seen each other, but he showed up that day to your father's memorial because he knew what your father meant to you. He knew what he meant to your family. And he also experienced yeah. that life with you, growing up with you and mm -hmm. seeing that family, your family in action, that love in action. Mm -hmm. Um and that is really the true test of friendship. So to your brother's point, it's not about reconnecting and starting up a relationship or again, where you're calling each other every day and seeing each other all the time. Sometimes it's those relationships that span decades and you go, you know, certain significant amount of times without seeing or talk to each other. It just proves to you that that relationship was built on the most solid and beautiful foundation that nothing can shake. Yeah. And I got to tell you, as kids growing up, we used to get into some scraps. I'm uh, sure. <laughs> you know, where I'm never talking to you again, you know. Yeah, uh, of course. A couple of days later, guess what? We're talking to each other again. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, because playing and having fun in the neighborhood. And and I have to say that I, I'm, I'm sad for the kids of today who do not have um, what one of my guests referred to as the golden childhood. I, I guess I could use that term. Because we we used to run around the uh, run around the block, yeah. uh, nobody was concerned about uh, us doing damage because we were playing, we were having fun, bicycling around and so forth. Um, right. I mean, it was 
I was just the best. I, I got to tell you, it was it was really the best. And uh, to have those memories uh, in that regard, um, just it, it, it's it's great to have that. And I wish that uh, uh, others today here in the 21st century could experience that. But now we're we're closing off for a lot of different reasons, not just from the politics, but also uh, the, the frustration of of uh, kids not feeling safe in schools or churches or synagogues or grocery stores or any place else for that matter, because you just don't know what's going to happen. And so people, I think that's another reason, and maybe you can dive into that. They're isolating themselves saying, no, I don't want to risk. I don't want to risk myself or my children, my family, uh, you know, because of some nut job who wants to do whatever it is they want to do. Fear, I think, is absolutely a factor in socializing today. I mean, you know, I remember when the movie theater shootings started being a thing, and that was so weird. You know, mm-hmm. I I remember going to the movies after that was happening, and I was nervous anytime I saw someone come in with a backpack or anything like that. I actually left a movie at one point with a couple friends of mine because. I saw this person with this like knapsack and I was like, I just, I just don't trust it. And it was a weird time, you know, and we thought that was a weird time to be alive. And then we went through all these other things where, Mm -hmm. you know, people were shooting at concerts at, you know, and, and then we went through COVID and then we went through now it's, you know, you in churches, like you said, or wherever your place of worship or a grocery store, all of that. These are things that were unprecedented. We, why now, People think the only way to express how they feel about something or their pain or whatever is they go in and shoot somebody like Mm -hmm. this is now how we're solving problems. This is the only way. And I, I, I don't understand it. I don't think I'll ever understand it. I don't really want to understand it. If I'm, if I'm going to be honest with you, Richard, because it's, it's not something I can wrap my head around. But the fear factor that is related to socializing certainly can be coming from a lot of different places. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's the other side, you know, do we stop living? Do we stop doing the things that bring us joy? Do we stop connecting with people? Do we stop living our lives because we're afraid? You know, you can't even go to a parade, a 4th of July parade. You know, I live in Chicago. Everyone heard about the Highland Park shooting, you know, last summer uh, in in, uh, the 4th of July parade that happened. And Mm -hmm. um, again, another venue where it's like, where can you go that is safe? And and I don't know the answer to that question. I I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. But that's where you think about this is... I feel like I'm out of control. I always say, mm-hmm. when you feel like you're out of control, you have to find a place to take control. Yeah. So how do we control the situation? Is it through, you know, legislation? Is it through, you know, a community group that is going to try to, you know, keep their specific community safe and put parameters or extra safety, you know, parameters into place? I don't know. But there has to be a place that we take back control where we feel out of control and fearful. Yeah. We're talking with uh, Florence Ann Romano. We're talking about how you can build your village here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And uh, Florence Ann, I I had a conversation literally a few moments before you and I started talking uh-huh. with uh, someone I would refer to more as an acquaintance. Okay. I did some work with them or for yeah. them. And um, they are having this this issue uh, where the work that I did for them, somebody deleted, they got rid of it, whatever. But then there's this other uh, dynamic, this other human dynamic that this gentleman is dealing with. Now, I've known him for a couple of years now. I know how he is. And as soon as I got on the phone, he wanted to tell me the story, which he had related in uh, a voicemail several that I've, I've, I've read or, or listened to in texts that I have read. So I had to stop him. I say, stop, 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 stop. Hold on. You love the drama. He said, no, I don't. I said, you love the drama because you continue to have it in your life. You choose the people that come into your life. They are not by accident. And this is something that we should talk about a little bit. 
when people, because uh, because I know that you kind of touched upon this before, and I touch upon this in my book Choices, and it's one of the steps, and that is um, match your personal input to your choice, and that includes the people in your life. The word that I think I started to use was that we have the right to discriminate, but that word I think uh, is is a little charged. So, <laughs> so uh, even though it's accurate, uh, I think a better word we have the uh, right to discern. To discern, that's the word. Yeah. That's the word. Yeah. yeah, to discern, and we can have whoever we want in our lives or not have. I mean, you know, the people who have divorces, right. all right? right? They've said, I don't want you in my life anymore. Right. So forth. Um, so I told him that I would carry out whatever it was that he wanted me to do, but I'm not getting involved in this conversation. I've got too many other things that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be rude, but I had to be blunt. Sure. You know, and and um, do you find that, um, that sometimes you kind of have to step into that role in order to be able to move on and or away from those people who they aren't yes people, but they don't, but they're, but they're, uh, 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 they don't serve you in your village. They're more of a, shall we say, a destructive force or a a chaos creating force? Sure. I I mean, if someone is toxic in some sort of way Ah, in your life, You know, you you certainly don't want that toxicity, but it's always not that simple. Perhaps it's your mother-in-law that's toxic. Mm. Perhaps it's someone in your in your family that you know you 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 have to see you know from time to time or whatever it is. Because it, it can be easy for me to say just get rid of the toxic people in your life. That's not that's that's not feasible all the yeah. time. So what's the how do you actually counteract that? Then that's a question of boundaries. What are the boundaries you put up with certain people that you can't actually get rid of or fire from your village? Uh, and this person that you're talking about, if this is something, someone that you have to have some level of interaction with, um, maybe it is creating that boundary like you just did, saying, you know, I just don't want to be a part of this. Now, delivery is key in everything that we do, Richard. You can say what you mean and not say it mean. You know, you can deliver your message in a way that is maybe softer or gives it a little bit of grace or lands in a way that is more digestible. Uh, And that also serves your purpose. It also helps you create that boundary then. But delivery is key. You, You have to learn how to talk to people, how to advocate for yourself, and how to create those boundaries in a way that is going to be effective. Uh, if you fight fire with fire, you're not really going to get anywhere. So you have to think about what's my goal, what's the intention I have here, uh, and then work toward that. And and then figure out what's the right delivery system for that. What are the right words? What's the right tone and attitude? All of that will then hopefully be able to create that boundary that you need or help you get rid of you know, as much toxicity as you can in your life with that person specifically. Exactly. And, and uh, I have to say that, that um, usually if I choose the wrong way of doing it, I feel it, you know, it's, it's, it's palpable. In this case, I, I did not generate more trauma or drama in my life, but I don't want or need that kind of chaos. Right. In my life. Right. I mean, I mean, he's shared with me how, oh, I had to put a restraining order on so-and-so because it came over to my house and I said, stop, stop. I do not want or need to hear the story. Okay. Because it's not why I called. Right. You asked me for something. I can provide it. That's why I called. Um, And just really kind of keeping it to the point, keeping him focused. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's a nice enough guy. But by the same token, you know, loves to share all of these uh, uh, drama stories. And, and you can uh, decide whether or not you want to be the recipient of that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I know, too, that there are instances where, you know, you might be speaking with someone, maybe it's in your workplace, and they're starting to go off on, on a tangent that you just really don't have any interest. Um, 
I know if you can find a way to do this verbally and then do it, walk away. Uh, excuse me, I've got to go take care of something and walk away from it. Right, or, make it up an excuse. It doesn't matter. Why yeah, exactly. Remove yourself. But don't, yeah, don't wait for permission. Just, right, just, you know, say, hey, I got to go and go. Right. Uh, you know, so that's one of the things too. And, and, and also don't allow yourself to be goaded in. I mean, I, I even, had, <laughs> oh, I couldn't believe this. Uh, my brother made some kind of a comment to somebody else that, as they were going down the hall, leaving the, the, the memorial at the end. And apparently they'd had a good conversation. And so he just had to throw in one last little, little jab of whatever it was they were talking about. And <laughs> I just let it go. I said, ah, don't even, don't even go there. He, you know, and and it's just interesting how sometimes we feel the need to respond to some of these things. I mean, you and I probably we maybe we do kind of respond to the TV or the radio when somebody says something on, on, right. on there that is just ludicrous or just bizarre right. or what have you. Right. I mean, I I worked for a Christian station for fifteen years, and they would answer my questions, and they didn't make any sense. <laughs> and I was even challenged on my salvation. Oh, Richard, I don't believe you're ready to meet God. I don't think you're saved. And I just thought, wait, wait a minute. Who are you to tell me? Because I thought you said this was a personal relationship. It's right. not a it's not a threesome. It's a twosome. Okay? <laughs> so you just move along and uh, and so forth. Uh, and then, of course, people who uh, who want to save you, you know, it's like, why are you putting a notch in your bedpost or your belt or something? Oh, this is. Right. Who made you judge and jury, right? Yeah, you know? exactly. Right. So, and then, of course, this is for any subject. It's not just, you know, yeah. that. When you began to research this aspect of uh, Build Your Village, which, folks, is the title of her book, um, where did you start? How did you start putting this together and, and know the direction you wanted to go with this? And not have certain things in it, as you mentioned earlier in the program. I wanted to always create a book that had something you could identify with. Because I felt if you can run your fingers through it, if you can put your arms around it, if it feels tangible, then you're going to have better success in actually implementing it. So I always knew I wanted to create uh something like that. And then what it ended up being was the six villagers, just because I felt like everyone likes to do sometimes that self-discovery because I mean, we all on social media, you take those quizzes all the time. You know, what type of animal am I? Or if I was a food, what would I be? I mean, it's like everyone like, Oh gosh, I, I have to know, you know? Uh, and, and, and so I think we do like that kind of self-exploration and, and some so, sort of level. And so that's where the six villagers came from is that I wanted people to get excited about discovering more about themselves and discovering more about how they create relationships and how intentional or maybe not intentional they are about it. And also the health of it. Mm. How am I participating in these communities? Do I need to work on some things? Maybe I'm the problem, you know, the Taylor Swift song, hi, you know, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. I, you know, maybe you've got some stuff there that needs to be sorted out, or maybe in, in your friendships that you have, um, you've reached uh, a place where you, you need to make some tough choices, whatever it is. But it really came from observing as much as I did as a nanny in those different families for all those years and seeing just kind of how human beings interact with each other. And I've always been curious about that, about human nature and the dynamics of relationships. And so uh, when COVID hit, it gave me a lot of time to really dive deeper into how we as human beings need to show up for each other and what does showing up mean and how do we also take care of ourselves in the process how do we put that oxygen mask on ourselves first in order to care for others mm. and also a place that again you can always come back to no matter what happens in your life that you know you have the control you have the directions to building whatever village you want at whatever time you want in your life however you want but here's the problem. I can give you the directions, but I can't make you get in the car and drive there. So mm -hmm. just like anything in life, I need you to want to do it. I can't make you. But if you do, 
then this book is a great first step to doing it. Florence Ann Romano is my guest and you're listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And uh, Florence, I know that Florence and I know that uh, we are we are tied on time uh, and uh, I don't want to uh, overstay my welcome today. Because uh, <laughs> never. <laughs> never, never, never. But um, I, I do have three final questions that I like to ask all of my guests. And you may have sure. addressed them to some degree uh, at the beginning of the program or during the program. Yeah. But I like to ask them directly. But before I do, I want to remind you and thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story. New paradigms for a new world. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., 9 a.m. on Wednesdays. That's our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We stream live at those times at richarddugan.com, and we podcast at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. And uh, we are also on YouTube, where you can watch these interviews. We hope that you will subscribe and also click the notification so that when I do upload a new conversation, you will be able to uh, listen to it. We also ask that if you can support us financially, we would greatly appreciate that. We have a PayPal account. It is there for your security as well as ours. And this is an area that, you know, uh, Florence Ann, I, I do this on, on a lot of programs. I forget to ask about this aspect that we promote here on this step program having to do with the 2020s. That's the decade of perfect vision where we ask people to go within and listen to that still small voice. seems to me that's a crucial part. And maybe we'll have you back to talk more about that as well uh, in terms of guiding us uh, through uh, and into our village if we don't think we have one. So we ask you folks to do the same thing. Just listen to and follow the promptings of that still small voice. With all of that said, let me ask our first of three questions, which is, who is Florence Ann Romano? I'm going to say, I think what I said before, but more specifically, I think if I want to be remembered for anything in my life is that I lived a life in service of others. What was or is your life's purpose? Well, I think I answered that question a little bit with the first one, but uh, I would say it's not about a lifestyle. It's about a love style. And finally, what was your best day? Oh, I think every day is the best day because I woke up and I'm still here. <laughs> and we are so glad that you did and glad that you joined us here on the program. And I thank you again for being a part of Tell Me Your Story. Thank you, Richard. This was really joyful. Thank you for having me. And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, Love to lol. Jeanette, I am listening. And dad, be happy. <laughs>